0: We've been fighting a long time, and we've all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. We are at the brink. You have no idea how important.
1: Steve with Fidel. I'm coming to watch you with another book review, this one with econ- called Economic Personalism, Property, Power, and Justice for Every Person. With, as you might recognize, Michael Graney from the Social Living series and uh, a couple other shows we've done. And Don Brohan, who's the co-author of the book as well. So Don, welcome. Michael, glad to have you back. Good How are you guys doing?
0: <laughs> Actually, it's good to be here. I'm not there.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're not here. You're there. Whenever, wherever you are. Virtually. Yes. yes
2: in the webosphere.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, even if it wasn't a weird time, we'd still be doing this. <laughs> I'm not flying to Michael's lair to do this. <laughs> I don't want to. So who wants yeah. to take the first one? I guess uh, my, uh, ladies first. How about that? Uh, why did you write the book?
2: Well, it's funny you should ask me to say to answer that first because it really was started with Mike's book. I think we had been uh, discussing um, how we could describe this set of ideas that I think Mike's been mentioning on some of your shows. Um, and it started out actually as a request from um, an associate of ours who has contacts in the Vatican. and he wanted, Uh, to have a single book which would explain our ideas in the context um, of John Paul II's writings on personalism. And so it, Mike had been doing a lot of research uh, to begin with for many years on social justice, and we weren't actually aware of the scholarship of John Paul II on this concept, which Um, Interestingly enough, he wrote his dissertation on personalism, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. also wrote his dissertation on personalism. And so we saw a connection with our Just Third Way concepts uh, in terms of economics, which is a lower level of human activity than the whole social order, but it's a very important one. So we began to see a lot of parallels and connections, and Mike started writing, uh, I would say, mainly for a Catholic audience. This was for Catholic scholars and clergy. And as I started reading it, I could see how the universal concepts that are expressed in the social encyclicals could be communicated to anyone. And so this is a book about principles, and it starts, well, we'll get more into what it's all about, but that's really the inspiration for how this book came about.
0: Yeah, it, it's probably the second or third shortest book I've ever written. And I think it took longer to write than anything else I've managed to publish. It, it's, it, it was first requested as a one-pager. And then sort of expanded it. And then every time I thought I had the right outline, Don would look at it and go, "Hmm." you you know how some people can just sort of look at something and make a noise without telling you something. And you just know it's not quite right. Uh, But I think we finally managed after many iterations to get something that I think really, this is the wrong way to say it, does the trick. Because there's no trick about it. It's just basic common sense, a focus on human dignity, the dignity of actual human people, not the dignity of the collective. Uh, And these terms are more fully explained in the book because there is a difference between humanity and human beings, which some people don't fully appreciate. (laughs) You know, if, I'm not being pejorative about that. They really don't. (laughs) uh, And one of the things that I discovered years ago was that a lot of people mistake applications of principles for the principles. For instance, it's axiomatic in, you know, ethics that, well, you pay a just wage to people. And they say, that's the principle. No, that's not the principle. The basic principle is justice, which is applied in a just wage. The just wage itself is not the, the principle. It's an application of a principle. I, I made that point in a couple of uh, other books and, and many other articles. and. One of our mem- members of, one of our, our advisory board, we call the CESJ Board of Counselors, Father Edward Kraus, who is currently in residence at the University of Notre Dame. He used to teach uh, social ethics at Gannon University in Pennsylvania. Uh, I was having a conversation with him when we were out in St. Louis for an event at the Central, Union of the Catholic Cent- the Central Bureau of the Catholic Central Union of America there. And he's an acrobat. Uh, <laughs> and he said, but you say that in all your books. I thought, well, people keep making the same mistake. I have to keep saying it. So in this book, what we did was lay out the principles of the just third way of economic personalism and then show how with the, you know, the progression applying the, the social doctrine of Pius XI, which is not the same as that of Leo XIII, it's a development on it and of many other people. And also adding in the economic justice principles articulated by Lewis Kelso and Mortimer Adler. Everybody knows Mortimer Adler, or at least they should. You know, the great books, Philosopher. Uh, A lot of people know of Lewis Kelso too, usually as the inventor of the employee stock ownership plan. But as we talk about, you know, the, the, the confusion between principle and application of principle, there are a lot of people who think the ESOP the Employee Stock Ownership Plan is the great principle that Lewis Kelso invented. No, no, that's an application of principles of economic justice that he developed prior to the first ESOP. The ESOP is an application of principle. Similarly, the whole area of economic personalism uh, is based on these principles that we set out in this book and we tried to show how Going from basic principles of justice and personalism and human dignity, then it grows and you can apply these still in very broad ways in the book. The book doesn't get very specific on too many things. I mean, it's only 152 pages, so you can't get too specific. The, every one of the subjects covered in the book deserves a multi-volume explanation. But
1: So, so the answer is because I wanted to. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, don why who's, do you who's, a, who's the, the because it's there why write a book because well, like
2: yeah so that to keep a long story short or a short story okay, long, why'd you
1: write the book because i wanted to okay yeah there you go somebody told me to so i did don who's the targeted audience
2: well i think as i said initially it was for uh catholic scholars and we really are seeking to present these ideas to pope francis because we think that they'll help address a lot of the systemic problems that he sees in the world today including uh, the growing wealth gap systemic poverty inequality um, of opportunity and many other ills and war we can see growing conflicts and to the extent, a lot of this has to do with a system which denies most people dignity and power over their own lives and futures. Um, and you have a money system which is not based on real value. It's, it's based on gambling and speculation. And people have forgotten that when you hold up a dollar bill, that doesn't, should not represent a dollar's worth of the government's debt it should represent a dollar's worth of real goods and services and so we've we've really gotten away from some important basic concepts like justice social justice economic justice i'm sure as you know as you read and you um and you interview people and uh what you hear discussions on the news you can hear a lot of confusion about the term for example social justice Now, we define it according to how Pope Pius XI defined it, and Father Free, and and I won't get into a long dissertation on that, because those are later questions (laughs) that you're going to ask us.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You blew the secret up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but then I would say because we saw this also as really a universal statement, and so we're hoping that this will get into academia and we, we do have a, a, a friend and ally in one of the major U.S. universities who also happens to be Catholic, but she's a professor of social work um, and she teaches doctoral students and master's level students. So she could see how the Just Third Way principles really address her field Um, but in terms of each individual human being. So the idea of power is very central to this idea because we have the, the paradox that power, when it becomes concentrated, it corrupts or tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. On the other hand, every human being needs their own source of power so that someone else does not control their lives. So this becomes a balance and it, it has to be built into the system. So in, in that way, this notion of how you structurally diffuse power is something that politicians and policymakers and business people and everyone should be concerned with. But it, we're, this is a book really looking at systems and how you design a system to maximize human dignity. For every person, and also have equal uh, enable everyone to have equal access to the common good, which we also define according to Pope Pius XI's definition that it's not an amorphous mass of all these things floating around. It really is the the system, the structure of all of our institutions, our laws, our habits as social creatures, that. Is a bit, it's, it's there, like Father Free said, it's like the air. You possess it in its entirety, but it's there to help you develop as a human being. And if someone doesn't have equal access, for example, you had in, with the uh, segregation or apartheid, People did not. Most people did not have the same access to the comp. This it's not giving you results. It's not promising you that you know you're going to end up a billionaire. But what it's saying is, if you use this, if you take advantage of this, you learn and you apply this. You should be able to have enough of a, a base of uh, to provide for your sustenance because you you're uh, you know you have material needs in order to survive, but also you should have available to you those systems and structures processes that can help you develop your highest human potential and then as we say uh, go on to really work for the common good and also in cesj our core values uh, we talk about the highest level of work and that's how we relate to god um, and how we relate to the rest of creation and to other people so Inevitably, you know, ultimately we hope this would reach everyone, but being realistic about marketing, <laughs> I think you know, we start with the narrower niche. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Basically to make a, a, a moderately long story short, <laughs> <but> <laughs> the, the, the target audience is anyone who is confused or exacerbated or just angry about the fact that it seems that the only way to improve things is to destroy things socialism attacks the haves capitalism attacks the have-nots we believe that the just third way of economic personalism doesn't attack what it does is it goes and improves the the fundamental institutions of the social order which are of course reflections from the individual human person not humanity so that yes we can improve things for everybody without destroying them for anybody or as i'm probably gonna get it wrong but as our buckminster fuller said and he said a lot of good things but we like this one the best how to make the world work for a hundred percent of humanity without in the shortest possible time (laughs) with
2: spontaneous cooperation without ecological offense or the disadvantage of anyone so that we see is like the ultimate challenge to every person, every nation, the whole world. Can we do this? And uh, Bucky Fuller saw that by redesigning our physical systems, how we interact with the environment and our natural resources, every person on Earth could have affluence, live, have enough to, to thrive on, and to really to pursue higher, uh, higher pursuits. <laughs> there you go.
0: Yeah, somebody just told me that I was making erroneous errors.
2: Yeah, there you go. As I said, I'm not a morning person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So what is, the title of the book is Economic Personalism. What is that phrase for someone that maybe it was the first time they heard of that?
0: Mike, you want to take a first shot at this? I thought you were taking the first shot at everything. Oh, okay.
1: Well, no, I'm, I'm happy to
2: do that. Um It's a system within a larger system of social, the whole social order, which is addressed by personalism as the broader concept. But within that, it's a subset of personalism that deals with each person's relationship to the economy and to economic institutions, such as money and credit and property and banking and tax laws, all of these things which affect our economic lives and our ability to generate an income for ourselves so we can uh, consume and exchange with other people in the economy. So the reason economics and economic personalism is so essential is that in order to have social justice, to have uh, a SOCIETY WHERE EVERYONE HAS EQUAL ACCESS TO THE COMMON GOOD. WE HAVE TO LOOK AT WHAT ARE OUR URGENT NEEDS. WE HAVE Lewis CALSO TALKED ABOUT THE LAW OF THE URGENT AND THE IMPORTANT. AND THE IMPORTANT THINGS ARE, FOR EXAMPLE, PEOPLE WHO uh, GO INTO THE CLERGY, FOR EXAMPLE, TEACHERS, uh, LAWYERS, FOR THAT MATTER, LEGISLATORS, THAT THEY'RE DOING WORK THAT IS IMPORTANT. Um, But ultimately, those things we think once, if people were affluent, then people would do those sorts of professions for free. It's because they love that work. But in order to do that, the economy has to be producing enough. And each person, this is a key thing, each person has to be producing enough. And so what's happened in in the world is that we've moved from Labor intensive economies and maybe economies where we where have more agriculture, but it's still labor intensive. It needs human inputs to one where increasingly the inputs are being made, the work is being done by technology and now more uh, artificial intelligence and robotics. And we can keep pretending that this is human labor being made more productive. You know, and they talk about productivity. But this is, if you look at it, you know, people get fired and the robots are put into operation because it's cheaper for business to do that. So the question is, in a modern world, how can each of us be productive? How can we produce economically? And and that's not the most important part of our lives, but we have to be able to do that. So what Louis Kelso brought in, he was a successful corporate finance lawyer, who knew how the idea of capital credit worked and how you repay with profits, he brought in a means whereby every person from the time they're born to the day they die can gradually acquire more and more of the new capital assets that are brought into the economy. And by doing this and not forcing them to have to save in order to invest, which is impossible for at least 90% of mankind. You know you look around the world it's probably even a higher percentage so how do you enable each person to become productive and that's where the idea of connecting people to this right of property this is very important we talk about private property what are your actual rights over the thing you own and this is not the state this is not other people it's you as an individual so um, economic personalism is looking at those all those connections that we have to the process of production and in order to serve and enhance our individual human dignity and provide us with the power so that we can secure our own freedom so that's sort of a yeah. medium short long. <laughs>
0: Part, part of part 1a here <laughs> uh, essentially what economic personalism does is get down to the brass tacks of how you've actually carry out the meaning and purpose of life now to get perhaps a little bit too esoteric or philosophical the meaning and purpose of life if you're an aristotelian thomist is to acquire and develop virtue and become more fully human thereby preparing yourself for your proper end. Now to a Christian of course, that's to be with God in heaven. Uh, I'm not you know conversant enough with what other religions and philosophies will say is the true end that they're seeking. but that's not the, the that's not the, the, what we're discussing here. What it is is you must to prepare yourself for that end, you are to become more fully human. Now how do you do that? By exercising your natural rights, among which are the most important ones of life, liberty, and access to the means of acquiring and possessing private property, and of course, carrying out acts of virtue, pursuing happiness, as Jefferson put it in the Declaration of Independence. Well, in order to have the power to carry out, you know, to exercise your natural rights, you need ownership either of labor, if that's the primary means of production, or of capital, if that's the primary means of production, or both, if they're combined. So that be- this is because, as Daniel Webster noted, exactly 200 years ago, finally I said that right. Every other time I've been interviewed, I said 100 years ago. 200 years ago, 1820. Uh, power naturally and necessarily follows property. So Even to become more fully human as an ordinary thing, you need ownership, both of labor and of capital, to give you the power that you need to exercise your rights of life and liberty. Uh, And so what we say in economic personalism is, okay, here is a practical means, as far as we can tell, and and it does work, it's been proven to work. Uh, perhaps not all together, but each separate part works. And of course, an engineer will tell you, if you can get the individual parts to work, it's just a matter of time before you get the whole system to work. So what economic personalism does is give a practical guide for how to structure an economic and a social system to achieve the end of becoming more fully human.
2: Oh, you're t- tossing it to me first. I-, I thought Mike. Mike is writing a book on what happened to social justice. Mike, why well, do take the
0: first? Pages long. I don't think you want that first.
2: No. <laughs> right. Well, I, I. You can look at it in on two levels. One is the ideal that we're striving towards, and that is um, a condition whereby all of the common good is structured in such a way that everyone has equal access to it in order to enhance their dignity and their ability to develop more virtue. So that's the the target that we're aiming at and it's never perfect. And one of the problems also is in this, this, the question of participation or what we would call participative justice. Does every person in fact have equal access, for example, to money and credit to become a capital owner? Well, we can see today that certainly isn't the case. Does everyone have equal access to a high quality education? Well, that's certainly not. And even clean water and clean air. So we see that all the things necessary for human beings to survive and thrive are not equally accessible. So then what do you do if there's an institution, for example, the laws of segregation, you have to change the laws. And then how do you change the laws? Well, no one person can change a system by him or herself. It can only happen by people organizing together, sharing common principles, common vision, common values who are able to see, okay, what specifically is the problem in the system that needs to be changed or fixed? And then by using various, and and this is, you may uh, use the power of many people, people power, for example. Um, You may use the power to identify uh, leaders who have the influence and ability to change laws, which we, uh, in CESJ, uh, were able, our, our founders were able to do by getting to uh, Senator Russell Long. And this was back in the, I think was the early 70s, as a matter of fact. He was the second most powerful person in the Congress. And he had been, we, um, and I, I say this being the daughter of someone who was involved in getting these laws changed to enable employees to become owners of their companies using uh, employee stock ownership plans. And there's a whole history behind this, but Russell Long turned out to be just a godsend, a powerful champion of worker ownership through these methods. And and he came from, he was the son of someone who was a redistributist, uh, Huey Long. And he did not believe in the Robin Hood approach to um, economic development or, or improving society. So Russell he Long preached, did not. Yeah, Russell Long, right? Huey Long was the he opposite. Definitely did. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, no, no. So so this, yeah, and that was very important. But so that's another way is through education, uh, organizing, for example, what we're trying to do with Justice University and spread these online forums around the world so people can learn about these ideas, discuss them, and also learn how to apply them.
1: And right, then you
2: the idea of successful models, which we have in terms of companies, employee owned companies. And we're looking now beyond that this is a later topic of how we extend this equal access to capital ownership, not just to corporate employees, but to every child, woman and man in society, citizens, starting with citizens. Um, And so that social justice is the act of organizing. Mike, you want to add
0: to that? Yes, actually. Uh, but a little insert, a little commercial here. Uh, one of the reasons why the the book, Economic Personalism, is the first publication of Justice University Press to underscore the fact of why we are organizing Justice University. Uh, now, it's a good thing that you're asking Don these questions first, because if I were to, when my part is incomprehensible unless you've heard her part which is social justice has gone through what we can call three stages of development. The first stage was when it was well four if you want to but at first the term social justice which came in in the late 1820s 1830s it was used for everything. It was a really nice sounding term so you used it to mean whatever you wanted it to mean. But then, as the 1830s drew on, people began to use it to mean, you know, redistribution. It was a a socialist term that the socialists captured even before they were called socialists. The term socialism, by the way, only was invented about 1832. Uh, We won't get into that. Uh, But in the late 1830s, uh, a man named Monsignor Aloysius Luigi Taparelli and he has another part of his name that I can't pronounce. He was a Jesuit, but one of the good ones. He developed a principle of social justice, which was, to contrast, the socialist concept of social justice was the end justifies the means. In order to have a material good life for everyone, anything goes. Abolish private property, abolish marriage and family, abolish government, abolish organized religion. Anything that gets in the way of what the socialist, a specific socialist defined as happiness had to be eliminated. Uh, Robert Owen's infamous speech on the 4th of July, 1826, on the 50th anniversary of American independence, uh, called for the, from in New Harmony, Indiana, unfortunately, uh, called for the abolition of private property, organized religion, and marriage and family, uh, and Years later, over a century later, Fulton Sheen called for a declaration of mental dependence. So a declaration of dependence that we do need organized religion, we do need marriage and family, we do need government. You can't just abolish them to establish the perfect society. The end does not justify the means. What Tapparelli said was that what social justice means is that Within the framework of natural law, and of course for Catholics within the magisterium of the church, what social he defines social justice as individual acts with an eye to the common good. In other words, everything you do should take into account its indirect effect on society. Don't do anything, even if it's great for you, that will cause harm to other individuals, other groups, or the common good as a whole. And the common good is this vast network of institutions within which people become more fully human. Uh, of course, very technically and philosophically defined, the common good is every human being's analogously complete capacity to become more fully human. So, but it real, it, it's realized in society as this vast network of institutions. Okay, that was social justice although rarely used, until the election of Pius XI in 1922. It was a vague concept, and it essentially meant no more than Aristotle's legal justice, but with a a Christian whitewash on it. And And basically, the socialists captured the term so that even today, people think that social justice means the end justifies the means, whatever you want to do in order to redistribute so that people have enough to live on. So or whatever you, you want them to have. So, you also hear well, this phrase economic justice. Well, in, in social justice, what Pius XI did was say, no, social justice is not just another word for legal justice, you know, a general justice, a good intention to the common good. He said, no, it's a particular virtue with a defined act. See, under the Tapparelli notion of social justice. It was, you do an individual act that has an indirect effect on the common good. In the way Pius XI defines social justice is, it's the particular virtue directed to the common good. Its effect on the common good is direct, not indirect. And this is what most socialists, actually all socialists, and most people can't grasp social justice does not affect any individual good directly only indirectly by directly affecting institutions and how do you affect institutions because institutions are social things you can only affect them as a member of a group as a member of an organized effort to you know benefit that institution so that you have individual virtue which is direct good on the for the individual but indirect for society and social virtue which is direct on society but indirect on individuals now aren't you glad that don spoke first
2: <laughs> yeah and, and one small thing that you know the uh, father free's introduction to social justice is a beautiful piece for everyone should read it so that they can really understand the concept of social justice and he talks about the laws and characteristics of social justice and how you apply them. but what was really just sort of you know a recent uh, revelation to me, because I read this over and over intro to social justice.
0: And, and it's available as a free download on the CESJ website in the free ebook section, as is economic personalism.
2: Yes, so thank you for mentioning that,
0: Mike. Always Um, add the commercial.
2: Oh, (laughs) Um, but what I didn't understand was when you talk about a virtue um, as something, for example, on the individual level, how you interact with other people, how does the individual uh, receive the reward that he or she is due? I was always grappling with the question of, well, uh, you know, what is, how does the individual person connect up with this act of social justice when you talk about a social virtue what does that mean because i i I couldn't see how you got it down this requirement actually when you you're in the midst of an institution that's unjust you are morally required to act upon that to correct the institution but Father Free says you're not called to do the impossible, and it's impossible to fix an institution by it's by yourself, because it's a, you know it's many social interactions and traditions, et cetera.
1: Social so it, habits.
2: Social habits. And what does social habits mean? You know, is this the habit of the institution? Well, in a sense, the way it's it's constructed, whether it, it, the principles of justice are embedded in its structure. But that wasn't it. It was really this idea that each of us is responsible for our own levels of the common good. So this could be, for example, even within our own companies, within our own families, within our own schools, you know, going level to level our voting systems. um, those Those areas of the common good in which we interact, our milieu is the word Father Free used. And it becomes much more manageable if you understand that so that you individually are not expected to necessarily go out form a little group and, and change the world. Although your actions, you can, and this is something which you have, you have to understand the levels of the common good, which would actually transform systems on a global level. Okay. But, for most people, you know, they're going about their daily lives. They they go to church, they go to school, they go to work, and it's at those levels which they have to be constantly aware. Are is there any is there unfairness? Are are some people being excluded? Um, does everyone have equal access to this institution? And if not, if one single person does not have that equal access, it is all of our obligation to organize to correct that systemic problem and we're talking about just within the areas we have influence and power in so that you know suddenly realizing that what does that mean in terms of my own responsibility as a human being it, it and it's never asking me to do the impossible but it is saying we do have to care for the common good at all its levels and also as we fix our own institutions we have to always think at the, about the higher levels and the lower levels of the common good and that ultimately it's improving everything it's not at the cost of a, another level of the common good so this is a multi-textured way of looking at the common good and um it brings it down to human scale so you know that that was something that was sort of a personal revela- revelation to me
0: yeah another point that uh, father free liked to make because people think of doing social justice. Oh, well, we need to schedule an act of social justice for 3.30 today, so we'll go out and we'll do social justice. Then we'll go home and pat ourselves on the back and have a feeling of extreme virtue and have a drink or something. But no, social justice, if done properly, is not that you're doing something extra, you're doing what you ordinarily do in a different way. And in a, in a sense, this is what Benedict the 15th, you know, without, not the 16th, the 15th, back in 1914, when he laid out the principle of social justice without calling it that, when he was referring to what the modernists and the reactionaries and all the, the crazy people were doing, which he blamed World War I on the socialists and the modernists, by the way. Uh, he said in his first encyclical, he, he said, Old things, yes, but in a new way. In other words, don't just jettison everything old, but be prepared to do the things you're doing in new ways in order to have the proper effect.
1: So goes into what is economic justice. That's another buzzword phrase. I get buzz phrase that you hear a lot about. I
2: I think that Lewis Calso and Mortimer Adler, as far as we know. were the first to define it in terms of a system, in terms of uh, three system principles uh, that relate to the productive process and how people contribute either their, their labor or their capital and how they get their just distribution. So they're looking at economic justice as the virtue that structures your economy so that every human being has access to the means to participate fully in the economy. And this might mean with your labor, or it may be through your ownership, you're contributing your, the equipment or whatever capital assets in order to produce things that will be sold um, exchanged, and sold. So it, it was the way they presented it was in terms of three overriding or three fundamental principles. One is your input principle, how you contribute, how you participate, that was, we call it participative justice. The output principle, which is how you get your just return for what you contributed. And we call that distributive justice. And it's in terms of um, how you would compare this with what's called commutative justice, which is generally direct exchanges between specific, maybe one party with another, with distributive justice, you have the problem of, okay, we've produced all these things by combining our labor and capital. Now, how do we determine what each person should get, you know, their fair share of this? And so that gets into the notion of, well, should this be done in an arbitrary way? Should this be done according to need? You know, you have one worker with 12 children and you have one worker with no children and maybe that one you know who knows the 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 parent of the 12 children maybe isn't contributing as much to what is actually produced in the company and the other one is so is it fair based on need to give the parent with 12 children more because they need it so Kelso and Adler were very specific about the difference between justice and charity, both being necessary principles, but we don't want to confuse them. And I think that's a big problem with how people use the word economic justice is they now base it on what people need. Well, what Kelso was able to come up with was a way that anyone could, now not everyone's labor is worth the same in the marketplace. You know, you take a, a janitor who does important services, but then you may have a scientist who's producing vaccines or something and their economic worth in the marketplace may be vastly different or the CEO, for example. But in terms of ownership, Kelso was able to disconnect opportunity to own from whatever had been done in the accumulated in the past. So that a a wealthy person today has obviously much more opportunity to become an owner of the new future wealth artificial intelligence robotics etc the poor person who's barely scraping by who you know is living hand to mouth or one paycheck away from being on the street they really can't afford to save up a whole lot in order to invest to inquire enough capital that if they couldn't work they could survive off what their capital produced and that's what is really looking at is what is your self-sufficiency of capital ownership that if you couldn't work tomorrow would your capital ownership produce enough of an, of an income for you that you could you could survive um so they look at this system you have input i'll take And then they had a third principle which they called uh, and this would be the feedback principle in a system and they they called it the principle of limitation and what that meant was that no one should be able to acquire so much of the future ownership that no one else can become an owner so there is you when you when your benefit is specifically harming other people's equal opportunity you know, then you got a problem there. And so what do you do? Do you take it away? Um, do you tax it all away and redistribute it? Well, Kelso came up with another way of doing this, and that was looking at how we create money, what is the meaning of money, and that's a whole nother discussion, and the use of capital credit, which is different than what most of us have access to, consumer credit. That's how many of us end up in debt, because we buy something that we don't have the means of paying off. We think we do when we, hopefully, um, when, when we purchase something with a credit card. But as you can see, many people have fallen into the debt trap and, and our, uh, our governments have fallen into the debt trap. And they tell them so, you know, they tell everyone and the economists tell us well, it's more. okay. <laughs> yes, well, it's okay if governments go into debt because they can just print up their own currency and spend it into the economy.
0: Um, see well, of composition which is a yeah, lot poo.
2: yeah exactly so this principle of limitation we looked at and we said well we can understand it's an sort of an anti-greed principle but it's not sufficient and for many years we were struggling what is this harmonic justice to bring the two sides in balance what do we call this And it was fairly recently, I'd say maybe within maybe like uh, the past five, seven years, I forget.
0: Yeah, I I think so, because I'm looking at some of my old manuscripts and I'm still using Harmony and other things.
2: Yes, we realized that this concept of social justice, which is actually a higher level of justice than than economic justice, its principles still operated in terms of at any level, the common good in any institution, Is there equal opportunity and access to participate? Is there a fair means of distribution? And if not, we got to fix the system. So social justice was the perfect third principle to say, "Okay, it's constantly monitoring, it's evaluating. Once participation and distribution are out of balance, we've got to fix the system. And it's mainly, it's quite often on the participation side that is the problem because that affects the distribution side so we realized that oh my gosh we had this all this time but then i had a question that really bugged me for years is how can a principle that's the higher level principle of social justice be coming in as a one of the three principles of economic justice which is a lower level and I, i was going crazy with this it just did not make sense to me logically until i remembered Father Faree said social justice is acting at all levels. So it is acting also at the level of the economy. So that um, I was able to reconcile that in my own mind, but it's those three principles acting together to enable each human being to access the means to sustain uh, him or herself and uh, the family um, independently, either through labor, or capital ownership, or ideally, we think in the future it's going to be both, and probably increasingly more the capital ownership way of participating in the economy.
0: Yeah. And basically all I could do is summarize what Don said <laughs> is that uh as, as we mentioned, you know, at the very beginning, there is massive confusion today between principle and application of principle. And if you do that, you'll never understand or be able to distinguish economic justice from social justice. Because economic justice is an application to the economic milieu of social justice, which is why you have the three principles of economic justice as participation, distribution, and social justice. Well, obviously you need social justice in economic justice, or it's not an application of social justice.
1: All right, so what is the single most important thing to come out of economic personalism?
2: I think that it is a practical and principled way for each human being to acquire the means of uh, enhancing and promoting their human dignity and their ability to develop as a human being. And so it's the reconstruction of a system it's sort of our environment, our institutional environment, to make sure that every human being has equal access to all these these social tools, institutions, um, in order to, to develop as human
0: beings. Yeah. And uh, thank you, Don, because as you started to speak, I said, I was going to say that. You took my speech. So. <laughs> Basically, It's a a practical means to enhance the dignity of every single child, woman, and man on earth.
1: Okay. Uh, So kind of another single most important question. Uh, What is the single most important thing the book can do? This book. This book. I think
2: that it outlines um, an integrated body of principles that shows people that there is a way to make a better future and for everyone to have hope and have the realistic means to be able to better themselves in their lives. And it clarifies some of the areas and, and concepts that have become so confused that I think that confusion has led us to a point in human history where There is no such thing as truth. There is no such thing as justice. There is no such thing as love or beauty or whatever. And we're saying, yes, there is. We may not understand it or attain it perfectly, but we have to believe in something that's greater than ourselves. There's something that we all can unify around and strive towards. So that's what I think um, really the the important message of this book is.
0: Yeah, put it in, in another way, It's to restore reason and common sense to its proper place as as the foundation of human life. Now, yes, we have our emotional and irrational side, but what we're talking about here and in the book is how, based on absolute principles discerned by reason and common sense, which is the basis of the natural law in Aristotelian Thomism, uh, in fact, this is so important that the Catholic Church has defined it as a doctrine, that in the First Vatican Council, and this was one of the reasons why Pius IX called the First Vatican Council, was to do two things, define papal infallibility, which most people misunderstand and we won't get into right here, uh, and the primacy of the intellect. Now, faith is above reason, but it must be consistent with reason. And as the fathers of the First Vatican Council defined, and it was repeated in the Oath Against Modernism and in Humani Generis by Pius XII, absolutely speaking, knowledge of God's existence and of the natural law in the hearts of every single human being can be discerned by the force and light of human reason alone. Now, say that to a lot of Christians and they'll go berserk and, you know, scream you're a heretic, you're a dissenter. We didn't say anything more, and the church fathers weren't saying anything more than, you can know that God exists and that there's a natural law, which is God. Uh, And you can do this by reason. It didn't say it has been done, only that it can be done.
2: I do want to add something, Mike. It just occurred to me as you were uh, talking, uh, Steve, your question about what would we hope this book accomplishes. We've been talking about the moral principles and sort of system principles. The book does outline five major areas which need to be changed. And that includes money and credit, how we look at that, our tax system, how we look at that uh, education. What is education meant to do? Is it accomplishing that? Um, You said indoctrination wrong. Right, yeah, and and, uh, technology, and Mike, I always forget the fifth, but there are five, Um, and so the idea is we're showing people that there is a reasonable way to fix things. It will take people thinking about this, learning more, coming together, developing solutions, and we point to some of those. We touch very lightly. So ultimately, if this book is to serve its purpose, it should inspire people to now see that there are some reasonable things that, ideas, ways they can fix the system. And it even points to look at these particular areas. And um, I think we mentioned in it, for example, a piece of legislation that we've been developing over many years decades actually, and we've renamed it the Economic Democracy Act, Uh, but that becomes a way of affecting our monetary systems, our banking and money and credit systems and our tax systems so that we end up with equal access and uh, equal opportunity to participate in the economy and, and receive fair distributions through a free market system, a true free market system. And then we have ways that we ongoing ways we can correct problems in the system. And that ultimately, when we talk about economic power, which is, you know, that's that's a central idea of economic personalism, this is the basis for political power, political democracy. If you don't have economic power spread broadly, you're gonna have what we have today. And that's a few very powerful interests manipulating all of us. So it is really a foundation for a
0: just society in all aspects. Yeah, and to, I actually had to look it up myself because I have to count them off. But the, the, the five levers of change are education, politics, money and credit, tax policy and technology. Thank you. <laughs> I always forget this. <laughs> well I, I can never remember more than three so <laughs> I mean that's why you need to buy the book so you can, or, or pre-download it. It's a, it is available on Barnes and Noble and Amazon.
2: right and it, we hope people will spread it around. I, we hope they'll buy it first but you know we hope really the, the PDF is there for people to share with others.
0: Yeah, unlike Abby Hoffman, do not steal this book. Just
1: <laughs> if you don't like it, well, you have to get it from Amazon. You go to and it'll redirect you to Amazon. At least give Michael a hit on his website and just not.
0: And then give an adulatory review when you buy the book. Right, yes. right.
1: <laughs> it was priced reasonably, so you can get two if you want or multiple and hand them out, right? Yeah, for Christmas.
0: And if you can't afford that, well, give it the free PDF. Just download it. There you go.
1: Michael, Don, appreciate it. We'll have the links below in the show notes uh, to go ahead and get the book and the website for Michael's website and the cesj.org website as well. So uh, thank you guys for coming on and discussing it. Oh, thank you so much, Steve. I've really enjoyed this. No problem. Anytime.